Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Off the Glass podcast. Today, we have got episode number 42 for you all, and we are going to be going through our two early NBA award picks, going through every single major NBA award and a couple couple of we sprinkled in some off the glass awards um, that we know that y'all are going to like. We're going to go through those as well as giving our in-season championship picks. If y'all watched last week's episode with Andrew, we went ahead, went ahead and picked the first round um, of the knockout stage. We're just going to go ahead and pick who we think is going to fly out, win the in-season tournament, get every single player on that roster a smooth half a million dollars. Um, and on the back half of the episode, we're going to be giving you our week 13 top performers and top performances across the NFL and do a little buy or sell um, from some rumors for some people on the hot seat um, and some of the fringe playoff teams and see if we're, we're holding stock or if we're, we're selling and we think that it's it's not up to, to truth and you know, they're, they're not going to be able to hold on there. So a lot to get into here. Going to get the housekeeping out of the way. You already know the drill. If you're on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe on audio platforms. Five-star review, free download the show, helps us out a ton. Go ahead and follow the socials there at this, on the bottom of the screen, at Off The Glass Pod on Instagram and at Off The Glass Podcast on TikTok. Without further ado, how are we doing today, Dane? Doing good, man. Doing good. Excited. Always excited when we do one of these. It's a lot of fun. So I'm ready. Let's get into it. Yeah. Let, you know what? Actually, let's, let's flip-flop and let's get this out the way first since tonight is the first quarterfinal round of the end season tournament very excited for that and i think those are the only games on which is they're making it bro this is a real playoff atmosphere two winner go home games for the end season tournament um we've got boston and indiana and the pelicans and the kings tonight like i said we've already previewed the entire first round of the knockout stage in our episode last week we drew from the pick aside podcast if you haven't gone ahead and listened to that or watched that go ahead and check that out it was definitely one of our better episodes um but I've sat, I've thought on it, so I'll go first because I don't know if you have or not. And I'm going to give my pick for who I think is going to win the in-season tournament. And I think it is going to be the Boston Celtics. <laughs> not just because, obviously, they're one of the best teams already in the NBA. There are a lot of people's picks to win the Larry O'Brien come June um, and, and finally get over that hump and, and you know get another banner for that iconic franchise. Um, it's clear that this team cares about the in-season tournament. And I think that that's really important. And again, in this quarterfinal, you know, or not just the quarterfinal, this knockout stage round, this winner go home type of environment, Celtics have been there a lot in this very type of scenario with this unit. Like this is not a brand new team. Um, obviously they've made some key additions in guys like Drew Holidays and, and uh, Chris Stapps, but um, their core group has been in a lot of winner go home game sevens on a lot bigger, higher stakes are, are, are at risk than just, you know, the end season tournament and not to scoff at $500,000. But, you know, I think if you ask any of the guys on this roster, would they rather win the end season tournament or NBA championship? They're all probably going to take the NBA championship. Um, so I, I think this team has been there. I think that they're poised. Again, I think it's important that they care because to even get to this point, they had to 30 piece the Bulls, and they were up by 40-plus in that game at one point. So they knew what they needed to do to get in. Uh, they made sure that they, they were able to do that. Um, and even though they're they're taking on a team like the Pacers that's going to run and gun them tonight, um, I think defensively they'll be able to handle that. 
um, and overall be able to handle uh, whoever comes out of the other East uh, quarterfinal um, and ultimately whoever comes out of the West side of the bracket. And I think they will take the inaugural in-season tournament championship trophy, get them some additional hardware. Um, we can start the, the Tatum legacy talk for him being the, the first <laughs> inaugural in-season tournament MVP. Nah, that's too funny, man. Um, probably going to be boring, but I'm thinking the Celtics too. Like, like, honestly, for the same exact reasons, the main one was, like you said, the fact that they've been there before in moments. I mean, not like this, in higher stake moments. Like, right. this is not going to affect them. Personally, I don't think it's going to affect any of these teams, really. Like, I get it. It's more to play for. I don't think anyone – I'm be honest. If, if someone came out here and was like – like, there was a star that came out here and was rattled by the in-season tournament playoffs. Oh, we boy. A, we, yeah, right. We have a huge problem bigger than this. So, yeah. I don't think any of these teams are going to be rattled or the most going to be too big. But, like you said, the Celtics have already been higher stakes than these. And it doesn't help that – I mean, it does help that they're the best team in the league, basically, like, on paper. The most versatile, the most versatile team, um, play offense, play defense. Like, they can pretty much do it all. And, like you said, that they actually – care and like want to do this because like that was the main thing before the season started was are these top teams are are they even going to care enough to like actually go hard and try to win it clearly the Celtics are one of those teams that they actually are going on they're trying to win it so you you pair that with the fact that they're I, I think they're you know one of the one of if not the best team in the league yeah they're my pick unfortunately because you know I, I want my Lakers to win it you know it's not it's never easy picking against the Lakers but if I'm being completely unbiased I do think the Celtics are going to win it Hey, it, it could set its way up to be a collision course where we get, you know, Celtics Pacers in the first round, and then you get in the finals on the east side, you could get Celtics Bucks mm -hmm. in a playoff type atmosphere. And I think that game would be in uh that's that's a Vegas game. This is the only one that's not uh not gonna be a neutral site. So that game would be in Vegas. Um, but that's gonna again be a playoff type feel, winner go home between two teams at us included think have a real shot to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So that'd be a nice little sneak preview. And then you could wrap that up with the iconic Lakers Celtics I'm for the in season tournament. But I'm you know the rating the ratings would be crazy. Oh yeah. They're gonna for be sure. crazy. It's a Friday night. There's no other there's no NFL to compete with. Um, it's probably, I might, I don't know. It might be the, the only game on that day too. I have to look at the full schedule. If they do it um, right, that'll be the only game on. Let me actually see. Um, is that this or no? It's is it Saturday? Oh, it's Saturday night. Okay. Either way, still I don't. There's no college football on this weekend because their season wrapped up, so they're not really competing with anything else. Um, then get Lakers Celtics on that day. That'd be huge, huge, huge for viewership and ratings because those two franchises are always going to get watched no matter what. Yeah, hundred percent. And whoever what is to win this, I feel like it'd be good momentum. Um, moving forward in the rest of the season and going into the playoffs. That's another reason why I think the Celtics are going to go out there and they're actually going to win it, um, unless they play the Lakers in the finals. Because, we, you know what I'm saying, I'm not picking against the Lakers. Can't do it. Understandable. Understandable. Um, with that, let's go ahead and get right into our NBA award picks. Um, we're going to bury the lead a little bit, and we're going to start with some of the smaller awards. Don't want to blow the top off of this with MVP to jump it out. Um, so let's start with... Uh, let's do coach of the year, um, which to me is I'm pretty comfortable with my pick. I think he has a fair shot just if, as long as things continue to go as it is to win the award come the, you know, April of, of next year when the season really wraps up. Um, and that's Jamal Mosley. He has the magic 
playing fantastic. We talked about it a lot two episodes ago um, with how much improved their defense has been, how he's got guys to really find their identity. Um, and this team as a whole really has started to define how they're going to be able to win basketball games and grow into a, you know, eventual contending force out east. Um, he's got them sitting at 14 and six right now on the year. Um, he's got them sitting at number two in the Eastern Conference. And what I think is uh, important to mention in all of this is the context that he was brought in as a guy that, you know, they thought was really good at player development. But there had been rumblings in the past about if he would be the long term coach. Eventually, you get guys better, and then you bring in a more strategic X's and O's guy, um, somebody who can take the talent and use that and elevate it to a level where they can play championship level basketball. And I feel like he's crossed that bridge now um, where he's not only getting the most out of his guys year in and year out to develop, um, but also is having them perform at a, at a high level already. Um, on top of the fact, too, that a lot of the guys on this roster are still going to continue to get better, not just next season, like throughout the course of this season. Like the Paolo and the Franz and the Jalen Suggs that we see now, they're going to look different, you know, 30-plus games from now. Um, and so because of all of that, I think Jamal Mosley has easily right now the best case. You can argue for a guy like Mark Dagonal. Obviously, he also has a great case with what the Thunder are doing. Um, and even Chris Finch, um, both of those teams really – um, they're both sitting at one and two out West, um, and really have made significant strides from the, from the previous season. But I've really just been most impressed with Jamal Mosley, um, and how he's has this young core playing so early on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, so he's my pick for coach of the year right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great pick. Um, the way I view this award, you can pretty much go two ways. Um, and your way probably has a better chance of winning if I'm being honest, um, cause the storylines are a lot better and it's, you know, it's good to see teams that haven't been good and then they get elevated into these like one of these good teams in the nba um but you can go that route or i feel like you can go to the route of the team that's just i feel like is the best and i feel like is playing really well and is tied for the best record in the league and i got joe missoula and the main thing is um we've seen it even like with the bucks kind of earlier in the year it's not easy to bring in some big additions and then just still come out of the gate rolling um, and that's what the Celtics did. They came out the gate rolling. They looked like they didn't miss a beat. Um, added in Przingis, Andrew Holiday. It seems like he has everybody on the team bought in, and they all pretty much have one goal. Like we talked about, they're locked in for the in season tournament too. But their their eyes are really on the bigger prize. Like we talked about, it. they've been in those deep playoff runs, those big high leverage situations. So I feel like they're all kind of bought in. And then you got to give credit to the coach in that situation. But like I said, to me, the main thing was the fact that they came out of the gate already rolling and it seemed like they didn't need that like transition period to like oh let's figure out how we're going to play with Porzingis how we're going to play with Drew somebody may, might get less shots like somebody has to come off the bench like they, I feel like that that transition was kind of seamless so I feel like I want to give a little bit of credit to Joe Mazzula in that aspect um and yeah I just honestly just wanted to give him his credit so I, I think I'll pick Joe Mazzula nah again definitely a fair choice and that's always one of the biggest criteria points for this award historically is you're the coach with the best record. Sometimes yeah. that's all it takes. Like you don't have to necessarily have more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so that that'll always be a good point of contention um, for somebody looking to win the award or why a voter may uh, vote for a specific coach. So um, definitely fair there, and he's deserving of it. Like you said, with, with the additions that they brought in, it's definitely not easy to get everybody to kind of slot in and get rolling this fast, and to be sitting at 15 and four um, with the addition of how they were able to close out their games in the end season tournament, get to the knockout round and 
we both just picked them to to be the team to get out of the end season tournament. Um, says a lot about how this team is playing to start the year for sure. Hundred percent. Going to move on to the next award, which is going to be the Clutch Player of the Year award. Uh, the reigning uh, award winner here is De'Aaron Fox in the the inaugural season of the award. Um, but I have a different guy and a guy whose his his nickname says it all for why I think he should win the award, and that's Damian Lillard. <laughs> um, Dame time has been open and active for multiple points already throughout the start of the season. And, and, and despite the, the slower start that he got off to um, with his time in Milwaukee, he's picked it up as of late. Um, and as it sits right now, based on the NBA's clutch stats, which are uh, any game, I think less than five minutes with a score that is within five points or less. He has the most points per game in the clutch among any, you know, qualifying player in the league. I think it's like over six or 6.1 mm -hmm. um, on 50, 41, 96 splits. Um, so hyper efficient in the clutch. He has the moments to go along with it as well. Um, again, just recently we saw him hitting big shots in their last end season tournament game against Miami. Um, we saw him hit big shots in his first time playing against Portland. Um, so he has the moments, he has the stats, he has the narrative to back it up. He's got the nickname for it. He's got to win Clutch Player of the Year now that it's an award that exists. So I'm giving it to Dame Dollar, Dame Time. Um, that's my pick. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> Pretty much same thing for all the same reasons. And the fact that, you know, this is a really good team and they go and they look to him in the or down the clutch or, or down the stretch, I should say, in the clutch. Um, yeah, that's it. That's pretty much his role on the team. Like he's one of the stars on the team, but his main thing when you brought him in there was to close games, be that superstar that can pretty much close out these games. And that's what he's been doing. So this one, <laughs> not much thought into it. Like it, it's Damian Lillard right now. Yeah. It, it, there's other guys that, you, I mean, like for an award like this, you can argue a bunch of different people for it. Um, a guy I also wanted to highlight Jalen Brunson, who, we saw it in the postseason last year. We know he's got that clutch gene. He steps up, um, and he's the closer for that Knicks squad. He's done it multiple times this year. Um, he's sitting on good clutch stats as well. Um, so another guy I wanted to highlight. But, yeah, Lillard just feels like the right pick right now. Like I said, it just feels like he needs to win that award one time now that it right. exists, right? It, it, it would just be right. That name could be uh, it could be uh, awarded after him, bro, or named after him, bro. Right, like, definitely. That, that's him, bro. He is, uh, bro. Isn't it, I think I seen I forgot what it was. It was like a video a long, long time ago where somebody did like the like most deepest dive into like who is the clutchest player in the NBA. It was like every statistic. It was it was everything, bro. The video was like thirty minutes long, and I, at the end of it, it was like Damian Lillard and then like LeBron. So like Damian Lillard <laughs> is one of the clutchest players in the NBA, bro. Right. He has all the moments across his career to back that. How many people do you know have multiple iconic, not game-winning, series-winning jump shots? Bro, it's crazy. And the degree of difficulty, too, that's another thing, too. It's like, these shots are not easy, bro. Paul George said it's a bad shot. It was a bad <laughs> shot, bro, and he's cashing it. Bro, but even the one against the Rockets, this is young Damian Lillard with the, right. the Mohawk. Right. <laughs> he coming off a uh, coming off a screen, screen fading yeah. to his left from the wing. That's not easy, bro. At That's all. a crazy shot. That's not easy at all, bro. Yeah, and the stakes, yeah. like like you said, series ending. Like that's that's the part that really gets it. It's like, yeah, it's not like you about to win the game. Like it's not, bro. You're you're right. packing them up. They're going home right. after this. That that's is crazy. it. They going to Cancun. 
Yeah. <laughs> you going in the next round. <laughs> it, it's an award that's built for him. Um, let's move on to the next one, which I definitely have a couple more people to talk about. The the rest of these awards, it starts getting a little bit, a little bit more to talk about around the narratives around some of the top candidates. Um, and that's going to be six men of the year. Um, I have a couple on, on my short list. Again, if I'm leaving people out, like I said, there's a lot of guys you could talk about for this award, particularly, um, guys like Emmanuel quickly, um, who's doing his thing coming off the bench for the Knicks. Guys like Tim Hardaway Jr., your boy Austin Reeves. Yes, sir. Um, Cam Thomas as well. Like, there's a lot of guys, even Chris Paul, and, and like guys like Bobby Portis, who aren't necessarily coming off and, you know, filling up the, the, you know, lighting up the scoreboard with points, but they come off the bench and they impact winning in meaningful ways. Bobby Portis obviously is one of one of the best rebounders off the bench. I think he leads the league actually um, in rebounds coming off the bench. Chris Paul, I think, also leads the league in assists coming off the bench. And we've talked about multiple times how well he's run that second unit. So I think those are things that I like to consider aside from just, well, who's averaging the most points off the bench? Because to me, there's more to being a good six man than just being the traditional, you know, microwave that comes off the bench. While that is a very important role and some of the guys I have in this short list do kind of check that box as well. Um, oh, and Tim Hardaway Jr. as well. I don't even want to skip over him. I think he's averaging 16 a night, and he's, he's, I don't think he started a game this year. If he has, it's been a handful. But most of his games, he's coming off the bench. And either he's got it going or he doesn't. But when he's got it going, he's flamethrowing that thing. Seven plus threes, I think, in multiple games this season. Um, but I have two guys here that are falling third and second place for me. Um, but they're both on the same team. <laughs> And that is Cole Anthony and mm. Mo Wagner. Um, when I look at Cole Anthony this season, um, again, going back to Jamal Mosley and how he's gotten all these guys really to buy into their individual roles, um, he's coming in and, and averaging 15 a night, um, 3.6 assists, 4.6 rebounds on you know solid efficiency, 44% from the field, 37% from three. Um, 85% from the free throw line. Um, and again, another guy that can come off the bench and give you buckets. Like I said, that's still a valid thing that you need um, in your six man. Um, he's been playing great this year. Um, love what he's doing out there in Orlando. Um, I've highlighted Mo Wagner as a guy I think has a legitimate case to be the best backup center in the NBA right now. Um, and what impresses me the most is that he's only playing 19 and a half minutes a game and still giving you 13 four with an assist half a steal and half a block so it's like 13 points in 19 minutes he's coming in and he's getting he's getting right to it he's not wasting any time he's very efficient in his minutes um like i said he's a guy that can crash the glass he can do energy plays and put his body on the line take charges again Guys are buying in for Jamal Mosley and that Orlando Magic team. Um, so wanted to highlight both of them guys who are, um, again, coming in and scoring, but also helping to impact winning off the bench. Um, but my winner right now for sixth man of the year is Malik Monk. Um, a guy who, again, more traditionally, especially in the past, um, at being that kind of microwave type scorer, you know, looking at the the build of a guy like almost a Jordan Clarkson, somebody that can come in and just give you buckets off the bench. Um, but something that I don't 
I noticed but didn't realize how big the jump was until I heard um, Kenny talking about it, I think on his own podcast. Um, he's low-key averaging the most assists he's ever averaged in his career, even from his time when he used to start uh, briefly with the, the Lakers um, or even throughout any of his time in, in Charlotte or last season. He's almost averaging five assists a night um, this year for Sacramento. Um, I mentioned it before, obviously, Mike Brown being a guy from the Popovich tree. Um, they do a lot of ball movement and play a lot of unselfish basketball. Malik Monk has bought into that. Um, he's moving the ball a lot better, finding open guys, pick and roll opportunities, swinging it out to open shooters off of some of his rim pressures. Um, again, we saw it most really, very recently in their game against the Warriors uh, down the stretch uh, where he's able to hit tough, tough shots. And there are nights where he really can come off the bench and it feels like him and De'Aaron Fox are just an unstoppable one-two punch. Um, and that kind of impact coming off your bench to me is very, very hard to find and something that is very, very impactful on any team that wants to have serious contending aspirations, which I know the Kings are in that spot coming off of last season. Um, so all of that is why I have Malik Monk right now as my, my sixth man of the year. It's a great pick. Definitely a great pick. I love Malik Monk, man. I wish he was still on the Lakers. That's he's been hooping, bro. Bro, he, bro, he's so good, bro. He's so good. Huh. But um, but yeah, my my sixth man of the year is actually Emmanuel quickly, mainly because because the stats are kind of it's pretty much similar. But the thing was, he was second last year behind Malcolm Brogdon, and Malcolm Brogdon is not pretty in the race. I mean, Emmanuel quickly is pretty much doing the same thing, being that microwave guy that can score and give you buckets off the bench. So to me. He just kind of slides into that favorite right now, mm -hmm. um, but a guy I really want to talk about. Come on, I'm in Austin Reese. You know I had, mm -hmm. you know I had to bring my guy up, bro. Nah, it's fair. He's up there. He's up there in the odds, and just watching it, you can see he has the impact coming off the bench for that roster. That's the that's the thing I'm talking about. It's mainly just the impact, not even just the stats. The fact that you see him when he comes into the game, he gives us a lot. He basically gives us some ball handling, gives us some defense, he gives us some some scoring off the bench. It looks a little bit more comfortable off the bench as well. Um, at least, well, at least this season, because he started the season off like pretty slow. But I had a feeling he was going to pick it up. They just needed to give it some time. But like I said, it's really just the impact, um, especially like down the stretch. Like he he's hitting big shots for us late in games. Like Austin Reed's impact is you definitely see it and feel it when you watch the games. Um, and you know, I just had to shout my guy out. But if I had if I had to pick one, it'd be Emmanuel quickly. But I definitely had to give Austin Reed some love because I I like how you said um. Because a lot of times when you look at the six men a year, it really is those microwave guys that just give you straight up points off the bench. But there are people that come off the bench and impact the game in ways that's not just scoring. So I I, like, I definitely like that you said that. And those guys got to be shouted out a little bit. Right. And I think something that's also worth mentioning is like guys like Malik Monk or Austin Reeves or Cole Anthony, Mo Wagner, um, you know, any of the guys really on this list. Um, you can talk about how they their teams do not look the same when they're not playing that night. Um, there's there's something missing if they're not playing that night. And that goes mm -hmm. to, a lot to speak to the impact that they have coming off the bench um, and just how they they can impact winning, even though they're not one of the starting five. Um, so, yeah, 100%. there's a lot of people that are. are, are providing real good impact off the bench so definitely cannot cannot fall Emmanuel quickly because again he's been hooping he was doing it last year he's doing it again this year um he just brings such good energy 
to that Knicks team. He always looks like he's mm. having fun. Him and Tyrese Maxey look like they have a blast playing basketball yeah, every single facts. night. <laughs> they just um, hooping. They just go out there and play. Before we get into the rest of the NBA awards, I'm going to sprinkle in a couple of our off-the-glass-specific awards. Um, and I want to start with what we are calling our MFP, which is the most fun player to watch. Um, again, got a couple names here. Um, Darren Fox is one of them. I think that we've talked about it. When the three-pointer is falling, he's so unguardable um, and just the the way that he's so crafty at finishing around the rim from a fellow lefty. It's great to see a lefty hooping at a high level, mm-hmm. um, the way that he is, um, how fast he can get downhill in transition, um, the, the shot creation, the way he can work out of the mid-range is all just so smooth to watch. Another guy, we've talked about him a ton, Anthony Edwards. I don't even mm-hmm. have to say a lot. You get it on both sides of the ball when he's when he's available this year. Um, getting that full intensity on offense and defense. You get the clutch factor. He'll take a game over. You get the hops. You can get some posters, big shots. Like you're, you're checking every single box of what you want to see in a basketball game just with Anthony Edwards when you're tuning into Minnesota Timberwolves games this year. Um, but my MFP, the most fun player to watch to me this year so far, has been Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. Um, and again, not to, to spoil it too much, but that's going to go into my can't miss team award because him <laughs> and the Pacers are just, they're must see TV. I don't care. They, they, as bad as their defense is, it could get worse. They could be the worst defense in NBA history. I'm going to still watch because <laughs> they might be the best offense in NBA history. Um, at least in terms of some of the advanced metrics are, are saying, um, but they're just so fun. They play so free. They're so fast paced. Um, People have started to make the comparison that they're like the new seven seconds or less Suns, which is how fast they play, and how many shots they get up a game. Um, and I, look, I, I can't, I can't be mad at that comparison at all. Um, that offense was engined by one of the greatest point guards ever in Steve Nash. I don't know what they've got to have a, a name for this Pacers team. It feels like their name being Pacers. There's got to be something low hanging yeah, fruits in there. So I'll, I'll <laughs> wait for somebody to to give them a nickname, but. This offense is engined by Tyrese Halliburton. He is a system. Again, the talk of system has been big early in the season. Um, but he is a system. He is my MFP most fun player to watch. <clears throat> That's a great pick because that was my one of my picks. <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton. But to say, like I said, same reason. Fast pace running up and down. I'm not going to like reiterate it too much. Um, I just did have some other guys I mentioned just because you pretty much touched everything when it came to Tyrese Halliburton. Another guy, and unfortunately he, did, he definitely did get hurt, was LaMelo Ball. Because mm-hmm. he gives you that same type of, like, fast-paced, flashy passes, running up and down with the shot creation. Like, I love watching LaMelo Ball play. Honestly, since he was in high school, I like watching LaMelo Ball play. So it's fun, and it's great to see him being able to do that in the NBA. Hopefully he can get healthy. Um, another guy that I had that I wanted to talk about, and it's for, like, completely different reasons. Um, for me, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a Kobe guy. I love seeing shot creation. I like seeing I just like seeing people with with a bag, bro. And I think Shea has to be up there for me. Oh yeah, like, bro, like we we've talked about it. Who does he play like? Like, he, there's nobody who you can just be like, yeah, play, Shea plays like this player. Like, he kind of has his own little way of scoring, mm-hmm. and it's like to me, it's super fun to watch because he can score from pretty much anywhere. He can get to the basket whenever he wants, but like the mini is automatic. Like, it's automatic. Like, bro, the bag is crazy. So to me personally. 
Shea just has to be up there. And like you said, it kind of goes into like our next our next topic with the can't miss team. Because I feel like for me, the teams I've watched, it goes Lakers, then the Thunder are right there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I, I love watching Shea play. So he's definitely one of those um most fun players to watch for me. At a time where the league is going and finding more and more players who can space the floor and shoot the three, here comes Shea Gilgis Alexander, Facts. who live within like four to sixteen feet of the rim, and <laughs> just still still giving you thirty plus a 30 night. Thirty plus, that's what I'm bro. It's thirty plus every night, pencil yeah. bro. You cannot stop it, bro. He get a little shoulder bump, a little step back. That midi's cash, bro. He can get to the basket. He's gonna knock the free throws down if you foul him. Like he's gonna knock the free throws down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a shot creation guy. That's that's the Kobe fan in me. So I love I love watching Shea play. And it's fair. Thunder are definitely high up on my my league pass list as well. Um, moving on to the can't miss team award. Um, had two teams here. If I have to pick one again, not gonna bury it. I already kind of mentioned it. It's the Indiana Pacers. We've talked about them a lot, so I'm not gonna beat a dead horse. But they're they're just too fun to watch. Again, if you're not watching Pacers games, or you are missing out on some of the most ridiculous offensive basketball we've ever seen in NBA history. Another team I have to give credit to, though, because I love defense so much, the Minnesota Timberwolves, bro. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll talk about it when we get to Defensive Player of the Year because Rudy is definitely in that conversation, and rightfully so. Um, But pairing him with some actual defenders, (laughs) who would have thunk? They'd be a ridiculous defensive team. Who would have thought? Uh, but yeah, like they, when they really lock it in defensively, bro, everybody is swarming. Rudy has had a couple moments where, like, when he played Chet, it felt like he'd taken it personally. He's locking Chet up. He's possessions where he'll contest a mid range shot, go down, contest a rebound, contest a put back, block a put back. Like, he's just all over the court. We talked about Ant before. We've talked about uh, Jaden McDaniels previously and the you know the offensive impact that he brings. Um, so on top of all of that, again, Anthony Edwards and how they play on the offense side of the ball and his ascension to really superstar him this year. Um, Trimbles is another team that I have to shout out um, as one of my my can't-miss teams. Yeah, 100%. Um, my, my can't-miss team is mainly – I have OKC down here for the reason I just talked about with Shea. The fact that I get to watch a 30-point-per-game score play along with a team that has a lot of, like, young athletic players on there that seem like they all pretty much a lot of them been able to hit three ball, mainly because they've been able to get so many open looks because they can drive to the basket as, like, as one of the best driving teams in the league. So they get a lot of open looks. So they hit a lot of threes. And then on top of that, I get to literally watch a unicorn <laughs> play on the offense and yeah. defense side of the ball in Chet Holmgren, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more in these upcoming awards. So mm-hmm. they, to me, they pretty much have everything. Um, they're super fun to watch. Uh, so OKC is mainly my can't miss team. Obviously, the Lakers up there. I don't even want to add them because that's really just a fan pick. That's not like <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, it's mainly OKC, and then I agree with the Pacers too. But the Pacers is just like, like you said, you just you just gotta watch the Pacers, bro. Like you just, <laughs> it's just too fast paced. It's too fun. You just gotta watch the Pacers. Yeah, you, I'm not even gonna say it again. But y'all know y'all need to watch. <laughs> um. Next award we got is the Free This Man Award. That is the player we most want to be traded. I got two guys here. Person that I ended up putting in second place for this award is Pascal Siakam. Okay. For the reason that 
I think, kind of hope, the Rockets are aware um, that they are in that weird middle ground, no man's land, where you're not good enough to be a lottery team straight up, but you know, you're not really going to contend in the East. They have uh, a guy in Scotty who is, you know, taking that leap. He's a guy who is in contention for um, most improved player. I think they see that he's their building block, the foundation. Um, you can almost kind of lump OG into this too, as him and Pascal are guys that contending teams would like, especially OG um, being a guy you could just like plug and play. But Pascal, I think, has such a unique skill set at his size that I would love to see him on certain rosters. I've seen people try to figure out a way to get him on the Warriors. I think that would be a great fit. Again, with the the space that he would provide um, and just some of the versatility that he brings. And then he still is a very good defender as well, which I think would would help that team out a bunch. Um, but I just would like to see Pascal back on a team that is playing serious winning basketball basketball um, now and not a couple of years away from that. Um, so I would like to see Pascal out of Toronto. Uh, but my winner for this Free This Man Award is obvious one, and that is Zach Levine. And you could piggyback DeMar DeRozan on that too. Blow the whole Bulls team up. Get Everybody. him out of there. I don't care if you think he's an empty calorie scorer and he can only score, he can't really impact winning basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe that. Either even if you do, I don't care. Them whatever 20 plus points a night he could go give you could be utilized much more than they are in Chicago. Because he's nice. giving y'all, I don't I don't have to pull them in front of me, but I imagine he's probably putting up 25, 26, 27 points a night. Um on a team that's going nowhere, bro. They're somehow, they're not even really in the middle ground. They're just bad. Like, this is a bad <laughs> team, bro. Get Zach Levine out of where, out of there. Uh, that is my Free That Man Award. Yeah, I just listen. It's funny because my Free That Man Award, it might sound like a Lakers take. I promise it's actually not. It's Alex Caruso. And it just kind of goes in Same with the, Bulls. the whole free the whole Bulls free roster, Bulls. bro. <laughs> free the Bulls, free the Bulls, bro. Bro, I just want to say, bro, pick the contender. I don't care. Pick the contender. Alex he makes them so much better. It, immediately, he makes them so much better. That's why I said it might sound like a Lakers take. I swear to you, it's really not. Just put Alex Caruso on a team that is contending and that can really use his skill sets. Bro, I didn't even realize until we started making this podcast. He's shooting 47% from three. That's nuts, bro. And giving you elite defense. Like, like, come on, bro. Like, I don't got to say how much I love Alex Cruz. I hope this winning chip, bro. But, like, that's why I said any contender, put him there. They are instantly so much better. And those guys that are, like, would be perfect role players, perfect guys to help contending teams. I hate seeing them on bad teams because it feels yes. like they're not – their skill set is not getting used correctly because, like, mm -hmm. what are you you gonna help the Bulls win twenty games? Like, what is, like I don't get it. You know what I mean? So the mm -hmm. Bulls, in general, this could literally just be like free the Bulls, like we said. Everybody on the yes. Bulls, they gotta go. But that's my yeah. that's my free that man award. Definitely, bro. I, I, we could almost really rename it the free the Bulls award. <laughs> get all them dudes out of there, bro. Get them yes. out of there. Um. And it's funny because our, our last off the glass award 
is what we're naming the P.J. Tucker Award. It is the award for the best <laughs> role player in the association. Um, and I had a couple other guys here in my little short list. Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, little center duo there in New York that I think is super, super productive. One of the best big man units in the league. Um, I like how they complement each other and complement whatever lineup they're running out there with. They all, Mitchell Robinson, obviously bringing, you know, the rebounding and the defensive impact. Harnstein is so versatile, even as a passer, as a big. Um, so I really like that for them. Jalen Suggs is another guy I thought about. Um, not going to spend too much time on it. We talked about the magic a lot, but a guy who's really found his identity as a player, uh, being scrappy on the defensive side of the ball um, and really just buying into that role. But my best role player award is Alex Caruso for all the same reasons that you just listed. <laughs> so not only is he the best role player to me in the NBA, but he needs to be off the Bulls. Free that man. 100%. Fantastic pick. My best role player to me was Derek White. and like Also a great pick. You, we've heard D'Lo say, like he said he wanted to be Derek White. That is like if you are a role player, your Michael Jordan is Derek White. <laughs> like yes. he, can, he can handle the ball he can facilitate he can defend he can space the floor and shoot and there's some nights where he can just pop off and just go off for big scoring nights like there's nothing Derek White does that is bad for your team he's just he just adds pluses everywhere Derek White to me when I think of like the best role player in the league right now like I said Alex Crusoe's one Derek White's up there as well has to be he has to be Getting back to the traditional NBA awards. Next one we have here, most improved player. Let me pull up the stats because this is going to be one I know I have to talk about the jumps for. Um, mine is not the most controversial pick. I think he's probably leading these, the odds-on favorite right now to win the award. Um, that's Tyrese Maxey. And it's the argument is it's literally rights for itself. Bro went from averaging... 20 and three to 27 and almost seven. It. It, like it's, <laughs> that sounds like a big improvement to me. Um, but even like, you know, getting away from just looking at box scores and the stats themselves, when you watch this Philadelphia team play, uh, we talked about it after the Harden trade. It really just allowed him to spread his wings, play so much more freely. Um, and it's evident in his confidence and the shots that he takes and the way that he plays through their offense, the way that he plays with Joel. Um, and this team, I am fair to say, they look better with just Tyrese Maxey now jumping up to the consistent second option. And again, another guy who on any given night, he'd go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any other scoring option in the NBA. We've seen it. He had the first 50-point game, right? It was 50-point game of the season. Mm -hmm. Um and I think he only shot three free throws in that game. So like a legitimate giving you bucket performance, not like his teammate that would mess around and shoot 30-plus free throws. We ain't going to get into all that right now. That should be an at least fun player to watch award because – Bro. Listen. I, sometimes I, I really have to turn it off. I don't like that. I, we don't even get into that. We just don't. <laughs> like that I, just, uh, it's annoying to see, bro. I can it respect is. it, but at the same time – I don't gotta love to watch it all the time. <laughs> nah, bro. So, um, but yeah, Tyrese Maxey, the jump has has gone from a guy who, and this also I think says volumes about it. He was a guy who a lot of people thought, you know, Tyrese Maxey can make that jump to be an all star. 
But now we're having conversations about him being an all-NBA player in what was supposed to be his breakout all-star season. Facts. That is a ginormous leap. It's a lot more difficult to make an all-NBA team than it is to make an all-star roster. Um, and so that speaks volumes to what he's doing uh, out there this season in Philadelphia. So he's my pick uh, for most improved player. Definitely also have to shout out Kobe White, too, who's having one of the best seasons of his career. Um, despite all the turmoil that we just talked about going on in Chicago, um, he's had a couple of good games as of late. I think he's putting up almost uh, 15, or he might be putting over 15 a night. Um, I think he only averaged, I don't even think he averaged double digits last season. Uh, let me double check. I'm pulling it up now. Um, yeah, averaged 9.7 points last season. Now he's averaging 15, averaging the most assists of his career, um, on the best efficiency of his career as well. Um, so he's a guy who's been coming off the bench and they don't really have a point guard um, in Chicago. He's not the answer at point guard, but he is a guy who is definitely showing that he can be a valuable piece of an NBA team. Uh, I'm going to also have to shout out Alpi, Alperin Shingun, um, who continues to impress me night in, night out. Um, we've talked about him a bunch as a guy that we were excited to see coming into the season with the Rockets. Um, but he's made the jump from 14.8 points to 21 points. Um, and again, those baby Jokic, baby Sabonis, whatever comparisons, um, he is legitimately an offensive hub um, at only his third season in the NBA. Uh, I think he just recently turned 21. He's only going to continue to get better. Uh, but another guy who definitely should be in contention for this award. 100%. Mine is pretty much Tyrese Maxey. Like, to me, there was no one that I can look at and be like, yeah, they improved more than Tyrese Maxey this offseason. And mainly because I'm not going to say pretty much everything you said. You touched on everything. The main thing I want to talk about is the fact that the responsibility and, like, the role that he took on, that's the main part I'm talking about. Like, mm -hmm. yes, he had a seven-point jump in points, which is nuts. And throughout, I believe, a three-point jump and, like, assist. But it's the fact that you're going from the third option, um, playing playing behind Joel and Harden, now you're a clear second option and a legit second option, a reliable second option. To me, that's a big jump. Um, mm -hmm. And because the points is like, yeah, that's one thing. But the fact that you're taking on more responsibility, you have the ball in your hands way more. Like we talked about the assist being up. You're facilitating like way more. Um, to take that type of jump to me was very, very, very impressive and something that didn't really expect. Like we, we talked about him breaking out, like you said, but like to this level, I don't think I even seen this coming. Maybe not at least this year. Like you told me, all right, cool. He'll be an all-star this year. Then next year, you know, he might have a real, real breakout. He can become an all-NBA. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll hear you out. But to take that jump to just <laughs> to skip the all-star, said, nah, we're going to the top. I definitely respect it. And it's uh, definitely impressed me a lot. So he's my most improved player. Guy is playing at an unbelievable level, bro. Unbelievable. Let's pivot to Rookie of the Year, which is a very, very interesting award, one that when the odds first came out um, was probably dead set Wemby, Wemby, Wemby the whole way. Um, and sitting at a little over the first month in the season, Victor Wembyama is not my Rookie of the Year winner. I know a lot of people feel the same way right now, um, but my Rookie of the Year winner is Chet Holmgren. You touched on it a little bit, but the unicornness aspect of his game, um, being able to put up almost 18 points a game, um, eight rebounds, three assists, 2.2 blocks, um, and the efficiency, the efficiency is huge too. 
Um, oh, dang, his internet must have just went out, so I'm going to keep riding it solo. Uh, but the efficiency is huge, too, sitting at 17.6 points, like I said, but um, 53% from the field, almost 40% from three, um, and 86.5% from the free throw line. Um, what's also most impressive to me and something that I don't want to take away from Victor Wembanyama uh, because it's not something that he can necessarily control, but... Um, what's impressive to me and something that I want to add to Chet's case, so I don't want to you know, take it away from Victor, but want to use it to prop Chet up, is that he's doing all of this in a team that he's also one of the primary contributors to win. So he has a high impact on why the Thunder are currently sitting at the two seed in the West. Um, obviously, the Spurs roster is, is, a, is a mess, and we could talk about them being on a 14-game win streak. We'll get to that. Or the 14-game loss streak, sorry. Um, which is crazy. I feel like no team in the NBA needs to be losing that much. Uh, but that's that's for another day. But with Chet, he's able to provide uh, so much impact on the defensive end at such a young age. Um, he's able to come in and, again, handle the ball, play on the perimeter, catch and shoot, can drive, can pass, can dish it out. Um, he's doing so much for this team, and all of that is helping contribute to wins and having them um, in the contention spot that they are out West. So Chet Holmgren right now is my pick for Rookie of the Year. Dame is back. We got the Wi-Fi situated. Um, so like <laughs> I just said, talked about Chet being my pick for Rookie of the Year. Um, Want to toss it over to you. Who do you have for your too early pick for Rookie of the Year? Well, um, mine is Chet Holmgren. Um, talked about it briefly before, I think on the episode with, uh, with Drew a little bit. Um, I think, or was it the one before that? Something like that. We talked about it a little bit before. I mean, we always talk about OKC on this podcast. For but for me, um, I was thinking about it because we had a conversation before about like how much does impact on winning take into a play with these type of awards, especially when it comes to rookie of the year. It's like most of the time the rookie the team sucks um, most of the time with a lot of rookies. So this is like a unique situation because Chet took that year off. You know, he's coming back to a team that was already, like, made a little bit of a stride last year, and you already have a superstar on the team. So, like, his res- his responsibility isn't as big as a, as a guy like Wimby. Like, Wimby's not playing with a Shea. But still, just, like, it has to account for something. Like, the fact that he's coming in here and he's the perfect fit for the OKC team, he's exactly what they need on the offense and the defensive end because we talked about it before. Like, they really just miss a big. They miss somebody that can protect that rim. He slots right in and is, like, a seamless fit. And then the numbers are pretty much the same as a guy like Wimby because right now it's, it's literally a two-person race. So t- for me, the the impact on winning, I I, I I won't use it as a knock against Wimby, but I will use it to build up Chet a little bit um, and give him that credit because he has came in and elevated this team to a new level, um, along with the fact that he, he stepped right in and he's just like he's fearless. He has some big games already. He has some huge stat line games already. Um, hit some big shots. Hit that shot to send it to overtime. Like he stepped in and he is like, he he's been amazing. I can't I can't undersell it enough or I can't undersell it at all for him. But I think for me, the fact that he came in here, elevated this team, I got to give it to Chet right now. Yeah, he definitely. I basically said the same thing you said, which is funny because even though you had dropped out, um, the same thing. Like you can't use it to take away from one. But I think it's fair to boost Chet in saying that. The fact that he's going on to a team and it's not like he's just riding people's coattails, like he is impacting winning in a meaningful way as a rookie. Um, it's something that I think mm-hmm. is fair to help boost his case. 
Um, but this rookie class also, like, not to get too far off track from the Rusty Rewards, I think has really impressed me, like, out of the gate. A couple other guys that I just jotted down here. Jaime Jaquez has really bought in, um, has been doing a lot of really good things for the Miami Heat recently as well. Um, they've got him, like, they got a lot of confidence and trust in him. He's going down, he's handling ball, he's handling the ball, he's creating shots for himself. He's getting scrappy on the defensive end, which you knew he was going to do, buying into the, the Heat culture over there. Um, mm-hmm. So he looks great so far. Um, Asar Thompson, of course, like in the despite the dumpster fire that is the Detroit Pistons organization right now, um, the defense is elite, elite, elite at such a young age. Um, and his defensive IQ is so high, which I think is so important. Like not just the athleticism and the crazy plays, but it's the feel for the game to know where to be, when to be there. Um, that's been super great. Derek Lively, too. Um, he has had multiple instances where he's come out and had really great performances. He continues to be the guy I think will be the longtime center pairing, um, at least for, for the time being, really with uh, the Mavericks. And Luka, uh, I think he filled that void that they were looking for um, with their center position really well. Um, so I wanted to, to definitely shout them out there, too. Um, two biggest awards, I would say, left on the docket. Next one we have here is Defensive Player of the Year. And of all the awards, I only got one name, and it's Rudy Mm -hmm. Gobert. Rudy Gobert is, I think he's currently the odds-on favorite to win the award, I I believe. I don't know how big his gap is. Uh, Yeah, is plus 200. Next closest is Anthony Davis, who's plus 600. To me, it's not not close. And it's not to say that other people aren't defending well, but like I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the Timberwolves, the impact that Rudy Gobert has had defensively throughout his career has always been, it's been scrutinized. It's been criticized because the advanced stats love him. People don't love the eye test. The time in Utah, we know what it was. So much was relying on Rudy to be this, not even just elite, generationally phenomenal rim protector. And if he wasn't, their defense was dog shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Now that he's in Minnesota with defenders around him, it's not only elevated their defense as a whole, like I feel like it's kind of elevated his defense too, which makes sense. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to be reliable for every single person blowing to the rim every single possession. Like there are guys who are staying in front of people. People are rotating better. People are helping the helper. There's a lot more defensive coverage happening. Um, people just look like turnstiles like they did when he was in Utah. Um, and so because of that, um, they are sitting, I think they still have the number one defensive rating in the, the NBA. Um, he's doing phenomenally in all of the advanced stats as Rudy Gobert typically does. Uh, but the eye test, again, like it, if you're watching the Timberwolves games, you can clearly see how much Rudy Gobert impacts defense on a night in night out basis, his rim deterrence, his rim protection, um, even if you want to consider rebounding a portion of that and how he boxes out and was able to end possessions on the defensive side of the ball, you can include that as well. He's doing all that at elite levels that we know Rudy Gobert can do, and it's all contributing to the Timberwolves being the one seed um, behind their number one in the NBA defense. So Rudy Gobert is my defensive player of the year pick. It's, yeah. <clears throat> you can't make a case for anyone else right now. And you Pod knows I'm not the biggest Rudy Gobert guy, so I ain't going to talk him up too much. But you you pretty much hit on everything. 
Um, the stats are there. The eye test is there. Everything is there. The record is there for the Timberwolves. Defensive rating is there. It's like, what more can you really say? And for this one, it feels more legit as far as team defense because of the fact that he has other elite defenders around him. Like you said, it's not like with the Jazz where, like, all right, cool, he's the reason why they're a quote-unquote good defensive team. Well, you've seen in reality he's just cleaning up for everybody. So now it's actually – he does. He's like you said, he's not relied on – to cover up everything, but then he's still being able to be that elite rim protector. So right now, it, it's not really close. Like you said, he had he has literally everything going for him: the team success, mm-hmm. the individual stats, the record. It's everything. It's it's not close. Trust me. I tried to make Anthony Davis debate. It, it's, <laughs> it's not close. Now, Rudy is playing at an absurd level. I've seen people try to make the case that he might be playing the best defensive basketball of his career. I think there's arguments to be made again because he's probably in the best defensive situation he's been in in his yeah. career. Um, so I, I think this is one that I'm comfortable saying will prop barring like injury, like knock on wood, like feels like this will just be like we're 20 games into the season. Like these are what these teams are. Timberwolves are a elite, elite defensive team. As long as they finish with a top five to three at worst uh, defensive rating, Rudy Gobert will be the defensive player of the year. That's going to be four? That's four. four for him? Tied for the most bro, ever. That's nuts. Yo, that's crazy, bro. He is, bro, love it or hate it, generational rim protector, bro. Stifle Tower. Just, it's so nuts, bro. Hey, hey, all power to him. Terrence Mann has done irreversible damage to his <laughs> legacy, and it's crazy. Like, like, I don't even think it's. I don't think it's possible to fix Rudy Gobert in the casual NBA fan's mind. I don't think it's possible. Like, you he can't would have to. No, hold on. Just nothing. He would. He would have. He would have to come into next season with a crazy bag. Like, he would have to start doing some Chet Holmgren stuff. Fact, and he would have to defend on the perimeter. He would have to. Be, right. He would have to be a whole. He had to be turned into Bam. Like that, basically, the that's the only way yeah. that the casual NBA fan is going to be like, "Oh, this guy is good." Other than that, everybody's forever just going to bring up the fact that Terrence Mann played him off the court in that Clippers and Jazz series, and how could this guy be the best defensive player? He couldn't defend. Everybody was. He can't even defend on the perimeter. It's a bad look. It's tough, but. The the context the context is important in these scenarios. So it is, man. Unless you're a Rudy Gobert hater like me, then just forget the context, bro. Just <laughs> Terrence Mann just cooked them, bro. Okay, like <laughs> what? What are we doing? Uh, and now for the biggest award, the most valuable player award, MVP. This is one that there's a lot of guys, again, like they're probably again. This is the issue with these two early picks because there's so many narratives that are still being put together that you can make a legitimate MVP argument for probably like eight to 10, maybe even more people in the NBA right now. If I had to boil it down to three, I would do Luca coming in at third place um, and He's having a phenomenal season. We talked about it. I think like after the first week of games, we said he was the MVP. Um, he's still mm-hmm. putting up like 32 a night with crazy efficiency. 
ridiculous assist percentages. Like we know what Luka Doncic is. As long as they continue to have team success, he will be neck and neck with everybody else in contention in the top three for this award. At number two, I have Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP, who is somehow, for the third season in a row, still averaging over 30 points as a big. Um, But what is really the most impressive thing to me is his jump going from 4.2 assists last year and even the year before that um, to almost seven assists a night. Um, Nick Nurse has really emphasized that he's wanted him to grow as a playmaker. Um, That's evident here right off the jump for Joel. Um, So not only is he still giving you 32 and 11 um, and can anchor in elite defense, he's also giving you almost seven assists. 32, 11, and seven? That sounds like... nuts. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like my MVP picks type stat line, Nikola Jokic. He's he's trying to... I I see what he's doing. Joel trying to piece together... (laughs) He knows what the game plan is. Get yourself a little triple-double. Um, but, yeah, again, my pick right now for the MVP award is Nikola Jokic, uh, who's averaging the most points he's ever averaged in a season right now, sitting at 29. Um, he's averaging the, the second most rebounds in his career at 12.8. He's averaging um, 9.8 assists, which would tie for the most in his career. So, like... He's taken a step up in some aspects from his MVP seasons of the past. We really can't, as an NBA community, have it get lost on us that a seven-foot man is averaging 29, 13, and almost 10. Like 9.8 assists. There's a very real chance, like it is for him every year, that he could almost get to the triple-double. He might get to it this year. And if he finishes with... Basically 30, 13, and 10, he's got to get the MVP award. We need to keep the same energy. When Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double, it was this that momentous. It was so momentous that he won the MVP, even though his team was like the seventh seed. Mm-hmm. So we already know the Nuggets are going to be a top three seed, probably at worst in the Western Conference. With those stats and that team performance, he would have to have to be an MVP and put himself in a very, very rare conversation to be a three-time MVP award winner. It's not, I don't even like off the top of my head. Now nah, I just need to pull it up. Three-time NBA MVPs. Like you're looking at like LeBron. Um, where is the list at? Three-time MVPs? Yeah. LeBron, Jordan. Off the top of my head, if I get some of these on the goat, I know Bron's up there, Jordan's up there, LeBron, Green probably, yeah, LeBron, Jordan, Is Shaq up there. Um, Shaq only has Bird. no, Shaq's not up there. Larry Bird has three. Magic Johnson oh, nice. has three. Magic, yeah. Kareem has three. History. Will and Bill. So it would be Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, LeBron, and then Jokic. This is a wild list of names to cement yourself into. But some people would argue he was deserving of that last year. I'm making the argument right now that 
with his stats right now, especially if he can get that assist into the double digits, he's deserving of it. Team success will be 100%. there. The stats are there. And, like, bro, watch Jokic play. Watch Jokic play. This dude is ridiculous. We've never seen anything like this before. He is effortlessly walking to 30-plus point triple doubles every freaking night. It's not something that we should get normalized to. So he is my pick for the MVP so far in the season. If the NBA, like, end of the season today, Jokic should 100% win the MVP. But out of me, just want to have some fun. I want to make the case for Luka. I just, I just want to read you out. I wrote, I wrote these. Out. I just want to read you out some of these stat lines. And don't get me wrong. All three of these guys you mentioned have crazy games, crazy stat lines, average crazy amounts, uh, average crazy stats. But just listen to some of these stat lines, bro. First game of the season, 33-10-13. Second game, 49-7-10. from the field. 64% from three. He had a game against the Clippers. 44, 6, and 6. Shot 81% from the field. 66% from three. And he did that in Bro, like 30-something minutes, too. Like, it was efficient. Bro, what? Like, what are we... 34, 8, 10. 35, 12, and 12. 50% from the field and three. 44, 9, and 9. Bro, that's ridiculous, bro. That's <laughs> video game numbers, bro. Every year he puts up video game numbers. It's insane. And to me, like, this is the first time in a while, like, he's came into the league in that, you know, in shape start of the season. Not like, oh, I got to get it going a little bit. Because he's always going to get his numbers regardless. Mm-hmm. But these last couple of seasons, um, when he was supposed to be the MVP, a lot of people picked him to be MVP. He didn't come into the season in the best of shape. He didn't start off the season great. This time he looks like he means business. He's starting off the season good. He's putting up crazy, ridiculous Luka-like stat lines. So, to me, like I said, if the season was to end today, I feel like Jokic is the most deserving. But, I mean, Luka's numbers are going to be crazy as well. The team like the team is going to be solid. I think the Nuggets will have a better record, especially if, when Jamal Murray comes back. I, I just think the Maver- the Mavericks can have a good enough record that he's going to have a case, especially if he puts up insane numbers. Mm-hmm. So out of the case of just having some fun, it would it would be nice for me to see Luka win an MVP award. But like I said, if I just had to be like completely unbiased and the season ended today, it probably would be Jokic for me. But I'd, I'm both for Luka before I vote for the foul baiter and draw. I'm a doctor, <laughs> I ain't doing that. I'm sorry. I'm not, if, I had a, if I had an MVP vote, Come on, man. You say you you say he got his one, and that's it. I don't want to hear it no more. No, nah, nah, he's cool. he's gear good, bro. Um, you're straight, bro. I'll let, listen, and it's funny because like the playoffs should not matter at all. And I'm halfway joking for people that's like I'm halfway joking. Yeah, but like, bro, you got to do it in the playoffs for me personally. And just the way he gets <laughs> the way he gets the points to be sometimes it just it's annoying to see. No, it, it really is. It like, is you're too big to be foul bait and flopping. Like it's just. I don't know, bro. One of the biggest players in the league should not be running into guards, initiating the contact, and then somehow, how how you bump into a guy and you ended up on the floor like this. And you're seven foot, like 300 plus pounds, bro. And you run into a guard. Get out of here, bro. Come on. Yeah. You know, that ain't my vote. That ain't my MVP. Yeah, like I said. My MVP, my MVP he races horses in the offseason, but he going to come in, he, he mean business. Mm-hmm. Like I said, walking or sleepwalking to 30-plus triple-doubles. Do not get normalized to it. That is not normal. This is not easy to do. He makes it look that way. 
which is not easy to do. Um, that's going to do it for our two early NBA awards. We're going to pivot over to week 13 of the M NFL season and go through some of our top performances. Um, first guy I have as a top performer in week 13. Got to jump back to Thursday night football in a losing effort. DK Metcalf had six catches. Mm. Three of those catches were for touchdowns. <laughs> six catches, 134 yards, three touchdowns. He, he, he did kind of tear up Deron Bland. He, he got kinda. called like it is. Kind of? He, he, he kind of he torched him. He lit him <laughs> up, bro. I ain't gonna lie. He lit him up. He did. He did get to work. Uh, so you got to respect it. Cowboys were able to sneak out with the dub, but DK was making me very, very nervous to watch that game in its entirety. Um, so shout out to him. Definitely one of the top performances of the week. My guy. Love this guy to death, man. You got him in fancy. You know why. I love it. You love this guy to death. Tyree Kill had only five catches. You know, just just five, five, right? Can't be that just much. Just five catches. Didn't catch a pass in the second half. Let's put it that way, too. I don't think I didn't even know that. Half. This game was happening when I was at the Texas game. So I just was catching. Yeah. I literally was getting the sleeper notifications of him catching passes. <laughs> Bro, did not catch a pass in the second half. You think oh, a decent game? 157 yards and two touchdowns. Had, a, I believe, a 78-yard touchdown and another 60-yard touchdown. I want to put it this way. If you think you can guard... Miami in general, but any team with Tyreek Hill with just single high and running man, you need to be fired. I'm be honest with you, because that Facts. is if you've seen the touchdowns, it's like, bro, he has no safety help over the top. It's just one on one. The corners were getting cooked on on those touchdowns. Like they they had no chance, bro. Listen, Tyreek Hill, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Got to be a top performer of the week, man. Has to be. He definitely does. He, I literally looked down, got the notification. It was like, Tyree Kill, 80-yard touchdown. I'm like, dang, that's crazy. A couple minutes go by. Boom. Tyree Kill, touchdown. I'm reading. I'm like, oh, let's go. I'm going crazy in fantasy. Gain of 65 yards. I'm like, he got a 60-yarder and an 80-yarder. He's going right. great. What is going on in <laughs> Washington? Facts. Yeah, he yeah, he went absolutely nuts. Um, I just mentioned, like I said, I had the opportunity to go to the Texans and Broncos game that was in Houston. Um, and I have to shout out from this game, one of the top performers on the defensive side of the ball for the week, Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, finished the game with just one tackle, but two interceptions and one of them when I tell you, you couldn't have made it look prettier in Madden. Like, looked like they were playing, like, standard cover three. He's looking at Russ and staring down the seam shot the whole way. And he's just waiting and baiting it. Waiting and baiting it. And as soon as he throws it, cuts off, jumps it perfectly, and picks it off. Was a massive, massive swing of momentum in that game. Uh, like I said, finished the game with two picks of Russ. Um, also had a huge pass deflection as well um, in that game early on. One of the, the first plays from scrimmage for the Broncos. Um, I think Russ took a, a deep shot to, it might have been Corn Sutton or Marvin Mims, and 
uh, Derek Stingley was beat, had to step on him and everything. He was able to close the gap and play through the hands at perfect timing. No flag um, was able to break that up. Uh, I'm trying to pull up how many. Yeah, he ended up with two picks and four pass deflections. Absolutely shut down corner. Um, so I had to, had to definitely shout out Derek Stingley um, for the Houston Texans. Yeah, 100%. Um, <clears throat> one of my other guys I had to put in here um, is it, Jordan Love, man. Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. I tried to tell y'all. You, I ain't gonna lie. You called that one, bro. Um, that was you. You got credit for that. You called that because I didn't. Don't get me wrong. I think I thought there was gonna be solid. I thought it was gonna be a good game. I could they have won? I was like, yeah, sure. But like, I just was. I didn't want to pick against the Chiefs. But now nah, you called that one, hundred percent. But Jordan Love, let me pull up the stats right here. He completed twenty five of thirty six, two sixty two sixty seven, three touchdowns. But less about the stats, just more about the poise. Um, the command of the offense, the timely throws, the reads, like everything to me, he was just very comfortable, very in control, and just wasn't rattled at all. Like put like put it this way, you're going against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the defending Super Bowl champions, with a much improved defense who have been honestly shutting down other opponents. And he just had his way with them. You know what I mean? He's kinda of, they were kind of getting whatever they want. I like a lot of their young receivers they have over there. I really do like them. I like um Jaden Reed. Christian Watson had a really good game. He, was, he could have been a top performer. Yeah. But I think I just picked Jordan Love just because he had control of the offense and he led them to a win, bro. So you got to get him credit. Absolutely. I almost say it's fair to say he kind of was dismantling this Kansas City secondary in a way that we haven't seen yeah, any other know. offense. I think this was the most points uh, Kansas City's defense has let up all year. Um, and yeah, again, Twenty-five for thirty-six, two sixty-seven, three touchdowns, no picks, ninety point three quarterback rating. Um, Jordan Love, bro. I I think the Packers have found their next franchise guy. They just can't. They just don't miss at quarterback. Clearly, the fact that you really could go from Favre to Rodgers to what Jordan Love looks like right now, and he's starting to put these together consistently back to back to back. It's like four weeks in a row now. He's had great performances, and they're honestly getting better <laughs> each and every week. Mm-hmm. The the inaccuracies, the inconsistent throws, those are starting to phase themselves out. That was kind of that downswing that we saw after like week two or three. We started to struggle a little bit. Those are kind of phasing their way out, and all of the, the arm talent is showing itself off all the time. Uh, like you said, the poise, the feel for the game. So, so shout out to the Packers. Shout out to Jordan Love, bro. That is a statement, statement win on Sunday Night Football to go ahead and beat the defending Super Bowl um, champs because that is right. not an easy team to beat despite all the, the crazy refereeing that went, went on at the end there. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, another guy I have to shout out, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy who is now, yeah, man. like it or not, the odds-on favorite for the MVP award, I think, with FanDuel. Mm. Eh. Oh, I don't know about that one. Hey, look, it like I said, like it or not, it is. They made the they made the odds. We didn't get to make the odds. I guess so. Um, but he 
And the 49ers team, who talked a lot of trash before this game about if they would have been healthy that last year, they would have went to the Super Bowl, this and that. A lot of shoulda, coulda, woulda, a lot of hypothetical. They finally got to strap it up, line it up, and play it out. And they went into Philly and whooped the Eagles. Handily. Whooped the Eagles like they whooped the Cowboys. To like yeah. to be quite honest, this is a it was was it forty two to ten against Dallas? Beat the Eagles forty two to nineteen. And them last couple of points was real garbage time. I, I was about to say that was it was the same. They got they got handled. It was the same. Um but yeah, Brock Purdy stat line, nineteen for twenty seven, three hundred and fourteen yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, at eighty two QBR, a one hundred and forty eight point eight passer rating spreading it around Debo with four catches Kittle with four catches Ayuk with five Juwan Jennings had some tough grabs in this game had a touchdown as well uh, McCaffrey had three catches too like bro when Purdy is rolling he is rolling bro the anticipation is there the feel is always there again we talked about it with Drew I really would like to see him in a game where he's a little rattled. The O-line isn't holding up. People are getting pressure to him. Exotic coverage on the back end. But look, at the end of the day, I can't discredit him and the Niners for being dominant and just always getting the job done and keeping him as clean as they can. Um, So that's the reality of how they've been playing. They look to now have fully bounced back from that little three-game skid they went on and look every bit as dominant as they did when they started off the season 5-0. and uh, So have to have to shout out Brock Purdy as a top performer. My last top performer is Debo Samuel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Put it that way. Because, don't get me wrong, Brock played a great game. Like and Brock has had, he's had a lot of good games. Like I said, when stuff is when everything is going well, bro, Brock looks elite when everything is going well. One of the main reasons why things was going well is because Debo Samuel is like a man amongst boys when it comes to playing football, bro. This man had four catches, 116 yards, two touchdowns through the air, also rushed three times for 22 yards and one touchdown. The stats are insane, but it was the way he got the stats, which was even more impressive. When like I swear Debo just bullies people, bro. So like the like the name Debo is so fitting. Bro. He does, bro. <laughs> like he he bro he caught well it was like an in route or like a slant. It just shrugged off the tackler. Mm. It just ran and just yeah, it, like it was nothing. Like it was just like, bro, you're not even here, bro. What are we doing? You're like that's bro. not another grown man in the NFL. Right. And just turned on the Jets to the end zone, bro. Like the yards after catch ability from Debo is one of, if not the best in the league. Honestly, bro, you just need to put the ball in his hands, bro. It doesn't matter rushing, receiving. Just put the ball in his hands. He will make plays. And the main reason why he's a top performer for me, and you alluded to this, he talked the talk, bro. He said, listen, Bradbury trash. If Purdy didn't get hurt, it wouldn't even. He's, bro, it's not the fact that he said, yo, yeah, if Purdy didn't get hurt, we would have won. He said, if Purdy didn't get hurt, we, it wouldn't even been close. Then <laughs> came out here and really handled business. Like, bro, I, it's nothing but respect, bro. Nothing but respect. Was talking, stood on it, handled business. He got it, bro. You can't say nothing to him, bro. He got it. Yeah, and look, you, 
you could also lump in. Uh, we just had back to back 49ers players. You could throw in this 49ers O line. They dominated the line of scrimmage in this one. Because when Thanks. once the 49ers got that lead lead, they just started leaning on the run game. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at I'm talking about they are blowing this Eagles front, which is one of the best in football, yard or two off the line of scrimmage. McCaffrey is just there's chunks in the game. He's getting he's getting like eight to ten a clip easy every single carry. Um, they finished as a team averaging five point two yards per carry against this Eagles front. Like that is impressive, bro. Like you said, talk to talk. Went to Philly. If you saw pregame, a lot of them came dressed in black like it was a funeral, and they handled their business. Um, so you could lump the 49ers O-line into this too. Um, kept Purdy relatively clean. Running game was was working. Finished with 28 carries for 146 yards as a team. Two rushing touchdowns to go with four uh, passing touchdowns from Brock. Just, just a massive win uh, top to bottom across the board. Every single unit, offense, defense, special teams. 49ers are scary, man. We'll talk about them a little bit more in the, the buy or sell segment. My last week 13 top performer um, is another guy who I had the pleasure to watch in person at the Texans and Broncos game, but I have to have to shout out Nico Collins. Finished the day with nine catches for 191 yards and a touchdown. Him and Stroud have just, they got the chemistry, bro. They've got it going. There is multiple times where you could tell he's got man-to-man coverage, and Stroud just trusts him. He's trying to throw it to a spot where he thinks Nico can go and get it. Um, and Nico's doing that for him. They hit an early, like, 50-yard, uh, like a little, kind of like a bang-eight, big, skinny post um, to early on in the game. There's a couple times where Nico had some really nice, crisp-looking out routes. He had a crispy-looking corner route that, honestly, if Stroud could have... Uh, had his feet set in the pocket would probably ended up being a touchdown, but he had to kind of lead him up the field because he was on the move. Um, but that was pretty, um, overall Nico just torched, torched this Broncos secondary did not matter who was covering him. Um, like I said, nine catches, almost 200 receiving yards, um, was a big reason why the, the Texans were able to, to get this one done. Um, and put an end to this Broncos hot streak. Um, so Nico Collins is my last top performer for week 13 of the NFL season. My last guy, um, and I think he was a top performer last week when we did it. I'm pretty sure he was. But um, is Dak Prescott. Um, mm-hmm. Dak is my MVP. <laughs> I'll put it that way. He's, <laughs> he's my favorite for MVP right now. Um, but the main reason, well, first I'll read off the stats. Basically, it was 29 for 41, basically 300 yards. He was 299. That's basically 300 yards. Three passing touchdowns. Added in 20 step, 23 rushing yards as well. But 300 yards, three touchdowns. And the reason why he's a top performer for me, because he's been putting up crazy stat lines. But this was a game where the Cowboys defense looked shaky. The Seahawks kind of was had getting whatever they want i think it was no punts in this game if i remember correctly i don't think anyone punted in the game which was like super exciting from a fan's perspective yeah they did not but high scoring game yeah super high scoring with the fact that the game was close and the defense wasn't playing great he's a top performer for me because a lot of 
people who say, oh, yeah, Dak can't be the MVP, he can't be a candidate. One of the main reasons was because they're saying he's not the reason they were winning a lot of these games. They're like, oh, they're blowing teams out off of defense. They're getting pick sixes and this and that. They won this game because of Dak Prescott, bro. They won this game because the offense played well. Dak Prescott played amazing. And I'm going to be honest, I've never seen Dak play better ever in my whole time of watching him play. He's not. He looks like a completely different player this year. I don't know if it's the contract here. I don't know what it is, bro. I don't know if it's Mike McCarthy got him, got him acting up, bro. But he's playing amazing, bro. He's he's my top performer. Definitely feels like the most comfortable we've seen Dak in a very long time, and I feel like, especially since the ankle injury, this is the first time in a long time we've seen Dak utilize his legs uh, to extend plays, and that I think has made a world of difference for his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Dak. I cannot wait for Eagles-Cowboys Part 2 because now that the 49ers done beat the Eagles, we mess around beat the Eagles. Uh-oh, tie record. Yeah. That one seed oh, looking up in the air for a couple of people now, man. I'll tell you one thing. Them playoff games will hit a lot different if they're at home in Dallas rather than going to Philly mm-hmm. to, to whoever. Yep. So big, big, huge, ginormous game of the season <laughs> for the Cowboys. Yeah. Really. For, forget the earlier one with uh with the 49ers. You gotta go out, you gotta get the split on Sunday night football in Dallas against the Eagles. Get both teams to ten and three and then the Eagles who do they play the rest of the year? Oh my gosh, I have a cupcake. They play the Seahawks, the Giants twice. And Why I they still got to play New York twice, bro? Dang. Yeah, it's crazy. That's why I say y'all like y'all gonna have to beat y'all have to beat them. Yeah, no, nah, definitely locked. Definitely, but hey, even if we don't end up with the one seed, the win against the Eagles would be huge just for the morale, <laughs> the confidence the going mental. into the playoffs. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for our week thirteen top performers. The last segment we have for you today is a little buy or sell. Um, So I'm going to go through some scenarios and some playoff teams and basically just want to see if you are buying or selling what I'm dishing out here. The first one um, is very, very relevant to this past week because the whole season up until, I guess not even just this week, you can go to last week too, um, whole season we've been saying it's the defense it's the defense they need to get him out of there you need to get a new coach they've combined in the last eight quarters the chargers have put up 16 points so i'm asking you buy or sell do the chargers have a bigger problem than just brandon staley in the defense i'll buy that they do have a bigger problem um the (laughs) injuries is a big problem like, when is the last time that their whole offense has been all together and all of them have been at least 80% healthy? Because, like, Austin Eckler right now, he sucks. Like, he doesn't look – like, he looks abysmal, bro. Like, it's terrible. I think I think the ankles help him, are not helping him. Yeah, no. A smidge over one yard per carry is not NFL level, bro. That's, like, out of the league bad. Yeah, he looks like he hit that running back wall. So, like, injuries have injuries have been a problem. Mike, they haven't had Mike Williams basically all year. Even when they, Josh Palmer was playing good when Mike Williams went out. He got hurt. So it's like injuries is a problem. Personnel is a problem because the guy, the receiver you drafted in Quentin Johnson looks like a 
bust. He looks terrible. So, overall, they got an injury problem. They got a personnel problem. I still think they have a coaching problem. I still think Brandon Staley does have to go, even though, like I said, the defense has been playing better. But, like, bro, y'all just played the Patriots. The Patriots got me at quarterback. Like, what? They they, they don't even count as an NFL team. Like, they don't even <laughs> count, bro. The de- like, the defense is going to be – for the Patriots, be always going to be decent because they have Belichick. But, like, the offenses, they don't count. They're not even an NFL team right now. But they, as a whole, just the Chargers team is a problem. Like, it's not as easy and simple as saying, like, yeah – um, the defense, it's all on defense. Everything's a defense. No, they have problems on offense too. So I think as a whole, the Chargers have a huge problem. I agree. 16 points in eight quarters is bad, bro. And six points against the Patriots, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable that's this crazy. year, bro. Patriots, like you said, borderline don't look like an NFL team this year. They don't, bro. They had to put Bill Belichick on the Thursday night graphic because they don't have a marketable <laughs> player to put up there. It was it was TJ Watt versus Bill Belichick. Like Belichick is gonna be in pass pro blocking TJ Watt. <laughs> that is crazy, bro. That's, that's actually sick. <laughs> <laughs> the next one I got for you: buy or sell. Should Robert Sala be the head coach of the Jets next year? I'll buy that. I and I personally, I'm not out on Sala. But I just – I need to see it. I need to see a one-year with Rodgers with a legit quarterback. But mm-hmm. he's doing some things that rub me the wrong way. Now, granted, he's a defensive coach, and he has the defense playing well. Like, the past two years, he had the defense has been elite. But the thing with me is the decision to, to not – I mean, I guess he's not the GM. But still, you can go to the GM and, like, try to work this out. But the decision to stick with Zach Wilson won. The decision to keep sticking with Zach Wilson – then to pull him for Tim Boyle, which is like, he's not an NFL quarterback. He wasn't even a college quarterback. So that's just a whole nother problem. But again, he's not the GM. Cool. We got to work with what you got. The thing with the Jets, though, they're like, they're, I feel like they're so penalized. They make so many dumb mistakes. If you ever watch a Jets game, bro, even the rare times that they sustain a drive, bro, it's always going to be one dumb holding, one false start, one stupid penalty to just bring it back. To me, that relies back on the coaching. But at the end of the day, like I said, he's a defensive coach. The defense is playing well. He doesn't have the guy who was expected to be at the helm and Aaron Rodgers. So you can't really – I don't think you could fire him until you see it all together. But I do think if next year, like say Aaron Rodgers comes back and he's like most of what he normally is and they're still like middle of the pack team, then he got to go. That's fair. I think that that is definitely fair. Um, the next one I have for you here, buy or sell, the Minnesota Vikings should move on from Kirk Cousins. Mm, I'm, I'm selling that. I, I think I, I think I'm selling that. Okay. I think, bro, Kirk was playing great before he got hurt though. He like, was. Kirk was balling. Like he was playing like one of the best QBs in the league statistically before he got hurt. Um, and then, yeah, it's another. There would have been another year in this system. It would have been another added weapon, a legit number two in um in Addison. Like he was playing fine. I know they started out the year bad, but like they, he was playing well. The numbers were good. And my thing is, if you move off of him, you're not gonna have a high enough draft pick to really get a a top guy. So it's like, who are you really moving off of him for? That's the thing. 
Because if you move off of him, mm-hmm. you got to completely go young. It's like you're not going to move off of him and then bring in some middle of the pack QB. If you move off of him, you got to draft a guy. Because if you're not, you might as well just stick with Kirk Cousins because he's an above average quarterback. So I, I, I think he should be the QB just because I don't see no better options for him. Now, if they were like losing, like if they were, you know, Kirk Cousins went down and they were what, what like two and 10 right now, then yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Move off of him, draft a guy, go forward with the future. But. They're too decent to actually get the guy that I feel like could be a franchise guy for them. Yeah, I think that's fair. They definitely won't have the draft pick available to go up and get a great quarterback. So it puts you in a weird spot. The issue is the contract, I think, with what Kirk is going to – you're going to have to pay him. Yeah, that's tough. But what's what's your options, though? Like That's when, like – what can you really do? Like it's just a really weird spot. That's the only reason because the contract is gonna suck. But Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. You know what I mean? It's not like you're paying a bum. Yeah. Next one I have for you: Are you buying or selling that this Browns defense can hold and keep them in playoff contention come the end of the season? Nah, I don't think so. You're not. You're not a Joe nah. Flacco believer. He was actually dotting up though. He he didn't look bad. I'm be honest. For he a did. guy that was straight off the couch, he did not look bad. But I mean, they got games against the Jaguars, the Bears, which is okay. They can win that. The Texans, which I mean, we've seen the Texans play well. Jets. I mean, I don't. Uh, this is tough. This is tough. I don't know, man. That I'm not a, like I said. Joe Flacco was playing solid, but I'm not a huge fan of the way that offense looks. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna sell it. I'm I'm gonna sell it. I think there's gonna be a team that gets hot, that's kind of in that in the hut a little bit that can possibly take them out. Um, so I, I'm gonna just sell it because I don't have faith that that offense keeps them afloat enough. That's fair. That is fair. I would I would sell it as well. I don't think that it's just too much of a a weight to burden for that team. Right. I think they're gonna skid out, which is is tough for them. Um, yeah. Same. Same type of idea. Are you buying or selling that the Packers, who are hot right now, can hold on and get a wild card spot and make the NFC playoffs? I'm buying it. Oh my God, I'm buying it. Let's look at their schedule. They got Giants, Bucks, Panthers, Vikings, Bears. They're in the playoffs. Just they're in the playoffs. I mean, I think they can slide in. This win was huge, bro. Like, this was mm-hmm. a really big win for them. And the fact that they're playing so good right now, Jordan Love is playing good. The defense was already playing solid. Um, yeah, if they keep this up, I, bro, they legitimately, I'm not saying they will, but they could run the table here against all these teams. That they have they definitely could. The Giants, definitely could. The, the Giants are a pot Warner team. The Bucks <laughs> are like the Bucks. The Panthers, <laughs> pot, we talking about pot Warner. They're like tiny mites. The Vikings are solid, but I think they can win that game, depending on if it's home or away. And then the Bears, who are the Bears? Like, they Mm -hmm. legitimately could run the table with the way they're playing right now. Facts. That is facts. Next one I have, buy or sell, Antonio Pierce will be the head coach of the Raiders next year. Well, I thought you were going to say Antonio Brown for some reason. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Um. Uh, you know, the head coach. Of the, I don't know. I can see it. I could. I think I'm. I might buy it. I feel they, like at this point, you gotta around. give him a chance. 
Yeah, because they're rallying around him, bro. They, they mm-hmm. seem like they really like him. I don't know if it's like they just love him or they just hated uh, Josh McDaniels so much. But either way, they, they, they're playing well with him. So I, I think I'd buy it. Who knows? It's like you said, they're playing well. They're playing inspired football. Like, there's some Thanks. meaning when they play now. Because before, it was not. <laughs> they was just dudes collecting a paycheck. Now they're playing Dude, for a little bit more. Um, happy to come to work. Right. The last one I have for you here. Are you buying or selling that the Chicago Bears should draft Caleb Williams with the number one overall pick? Buying. 100% buying. Like, th- for this simple reason, and I don't think Fields is like, can't be a, a good quarterback, can't be a franchise starting quarterback. I don't think he's shown me enough for me to not draft a generational like quarterback in Caleb Williams if we have the number one overall pick. Like there's no way Fields has not shown me enough that I could be like, yeah, he's for sure gonna be way better than Caleb. He's just not. Like I genuinely think he can go somewhere else and he can start and he could he could probably be really good, but the ceiling with Caleb, like I just to me, I'm not passing up on that for Justin Fields. I'm sorry. It's tough for me because I still view the so the situation. Obviously, I'm not a part of the Chicago Bears organization, so I don't think anybody within the organization would say this. But so much of of why their team is the way it is is the coaching, <laughs> like their system. That's true. So it's like it's easy for me to be like, I don't know, should y'all draft Caleb? Because imagine pairing Marvin Harrison with DJ Moore and Justin Fields in a competent NFL offense that's geared towards his strengths. Sounds really good. Would y'all do that, though? Like, Can y'all actually yeah, right. schematically put that together? I don't know. And then it looks stupid if you pass up on Caleb Williams. So, Facts. hypothetically, in a vacuum, I actually think I would sell this. I would want them to take Marvin Harrison. But the Bears being the Bears... Yeah, you got to take Caleb because uh, Jay Cutler is still the best quarterback in your franchise history. We got to change that. That has to be changed. What I will say, too, um, you're probably going to have to pay fields pretty soon. This is already year four, three, four already for him. I think three. I can't remember which one. Three. You're going to have to pay him soon. Worst case, though, I feel like if you draft Caleb and – He's, it's like, even if he's not like this generational guy, I feel like he can still be just as good as Fields. And at least that way, you're kind of resetting that, like, you're back on that rookie contract, but like in the beginning again. So then you can try to build a better team around him. Like you said, though, it is the Bears. So, like, I don't know our, what y'all ability to actually build a good team <laughs> right. around him, but it, I don't know. To me, you draft Caleb, you hire, uh, I forgot the Lions OC name, uh, hire him, hire one of these offensive minds, and then. I don't know. We'll see what happens because DJ Moore is a one. So it's not like, you know, you desperately are at a, a need for weapons. But I don't know. I just think it's tough to pass up on a guy like Caleb. I tell you what, DJ Moore could be a one all you want. He ain't a one when Marvin Harrison is there. That's facts. Marvin Harrison is different, bro. Different, <laughs> different bro. bro. I will say, though, this, this, uh, I don't know how many picks they got, but this receiver draft is like a po- supposedly like really stacked. Like it's a lot. Nah, of it is. Are, like, 
Yeah, I don't I don't watch much college football, but just from the little bits that I've seen, like these guys look legit. Honestly, this feels like a very good receiver class. It feels like it has the potential to be a very good uh, quarterback class as well. This overall could just pan out to be one of the better uh, draft classes in recent memory. Um, so I, yeah. I, I'm interested. I'm definitely interested to see what the Bears do because I think it'll be a real conversation internally. Because um, if you take Caleb, like you got to trade Fields. What's his yeah, trade? Sure. What's his trade value look like? And then you got to think about if you draft Caleb, I feel like that's got to tank some of Fields' stock. I don't like just in the sense that like teams know that you're trying to move off of him. Like you just have less leverage at that point. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I like I said, if it wasn't the Bears and it was a somewhat competent franchise, it just was having down year, having a couple of down seasons. I would say take the receiver, take Marvin. I think there's talent there with Fields. It has flashes. When they utilize him right, when they let him move and use his legs, their offense looks good, but they don't do that consistently. And they just do gross stuff schematically and with play calling that I, I can't I can't put that faith in them to, to do that. And I will say they they kinda like it's not Marvin Harrison, but they kinda did it with DJ Moore. Like that was what their whole thing was. Like, all right, we're all in on fields, let's trade this number one pick, get DJ Moore, get him some weapons. All right, let's see what it is, and it's been it's been better. No right, it's been, it's better, been better, and it could have been better. They've been in some close games that they had opportunities to win. Again, play calling is one <laughs> shooting them in the foot a bunch. Even going back to like yeah. that Bucks game, where it's like dudes are running screens on their own goal line. Like, oh no, no those bears are a mess. But either way, at this point. You keep Fields, you draft Caleb. Somebody need to break Jay Cutler franchise record. It's not even a my ton. Damn. It's not even a Hold on one second, my headset died. <laughs> this pod gonna need a lot of editing. It's low key. <laughs> it's gonna need a whole lot of editing. Hold on. You hear me? Yeah. All right, but yeah, this one, this one's going into uh, in, in, into what's it? Called? I don't even remember the freaking <laughs> clip, clip clip champs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you take fields, you take, or you keep field, or you take Caleb. Somebody need to break Jay Cutler's record, bro. It's only like twenty two thousand <laughs> yards. You telling me no one in your franchise history twenty two thousand yards at this point? That's like four and a half seasons. Ah, a little bit more. Maybe let's say five seasons to be safe. Come on, bro. Like, it's so bad, bro. It's funny because like in we just talked about in your same division, it's like these guys at the Packers just hit QB after QB after QB. Like y'all can't get one. <laughs> like y'all can't find one, one ever. Like a gen like a historic NFL franchise has been around for so long. There's no way Jay Cutler is the guy that like y'all hang y'all's flag on. Even the Jets, as bad as they are, it's like at least they had Joe Namath. Like, right, bro, y'all day. don't got, <laughs> right, y'all don't have nobody, bro. <laughs> That's crazy. Poverty franchise for real. Yeah, it's sick. It is sick. Um, 
We're going to go ahead and get out of here, especially because the in-season tournament quarterfinals are about to start, and I'm not trying to miss a single second of that. So that is going to do it for episode 42 of the Off the Glass podcast. If you made it all the way to the end of the podcast, as always, we appreciate you. Um, again, be sure to follow the socials that you see there at the bottom, at Off the Glass Pod on Instagram and at Off the Glass Podcast on TikTok. If you're on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, and then go ahead over to the audio platforms and leave a five-star rating um, and pre-download the show. As always, I'm Billy and that's Dame, and we out. Peace. Yes, sir.